Welcome to Raising Up Cops, a podcast about raising up Coptic kids in Western culture, hosted by Laura Michael and Madonna Lewendi. Welcome back, everyone. All right, so today's episode is going to be a tough one because today we're going to be discussing postpartum struggles. And I know this could be like a sensitive topic for some, but I want to assure you that the motivation for today is to destigmatize the struggle. And God willing, it's for preparation, for validation, for the promise of healing, and to offer hope and share some things that have worked for those who have gone through it and are now on the other side of it. So, Laura, what do you think? Yeah, when we first started talking about this, when we proposed this as a topic, I really felt like I had nothing to offer and no experiences to offer. And then as the responses came in, I was like, oh, I had that. Oh, this also applies to me. And it's just amazing how short-term our memories can be, especially for struggles that we went through. I, I had told Abuna, like, I, we're doing this and I have no idea what she's talking about. And he was like, oh, really? <laughs> so, you know, the person with good memory in the relationship uh, remembers things a little more distinctly than the, like, you know, the, the person who's not very focused. So, um, so I first heard about Madonna's story, actually, at her first love last year, where we were both on a panel talking about different issues that mothers face. And Madonna shared her story. Now, I want to be clear also, Madonna, that we are not professional experts or anything like that. We are not mental health experts or therapists. We are the moms next door who are telling you what we went through and how we like recuperated and how we coped. And so everything that we're sharing is straight from the heart. So Madonna, can you tell us a little bit about what happened with you? Yeah. So um, first, I want to tell you that like there was already a little bit of risk factors that I didn't know were risk factors. First of all, this was a surprise pregnancy. Um, Danny and I found out we were expecting three months into our marriage. So we were like, oh, already? Okay. So that was the first part of it. Um, and basically, once Elise came, I had a very difficult birth and, um, and it took quite a while to recover. So that on top of the fact that Elise also had a... Um, she was colicky. She had an, a milk allergy we didn't know about. So she cried all the time. Um, breastfeeding was really hard to get started. There was just so many things that were happening. And little by little, all these thoughts started creeping in that I'm not supposed to be a mom. I am not supposed to be doing this. Um, this poor girl has is really going to suffer with me. I need to find somebody else to take care of her. I remember considering like, do I give her to the grandparents? Maybe they'll do a better job. I remember thinking like, you know, Danny would be better off if like somebody else took care of this baby. This poor guy didn't sign up for such a horrible mom to be his partner. There were so many thoughts that went through my head. And I remember just every day crying all the time and feeling like I just wasn't cut out for this. Now, finally, you know, after some time and I had been emailing my, my father of confession and I had been talking to Danny and finally they told me, you know, you're not acting like yourself. I want you to consider that maybe you're having some postpartum depression. And I had heard of postpartum depression before. It's not like I didn't know about it, but I was, I guess a part of me was in denial that that's what I was going through. Um, it was just not something that I thought was going to affect me. And, um, I, it just, in general, it was just a, a lot of self-doubt and insecurity and just feeling like I was an inadequate person to be a mother and that God made this huge mistake giving me this child. And that's how I lived out probably the first year of my kid's life. 
all day long. <laughs> so what did you end up doing, Madonna? How did you end up dealing with it? Yeah. So, I mean, the first thought was I need to seek out therapy. And thankfully, um, you know, I married somebody who does not have any stigma about that. He was saying like, absolutely, you need to go, you know, seek some help because I'm not qualified to help you with this. So I went and sought out um, some care and that still wasn't enough. So I eventually found a clinic. I was not comfortable with the idea of jumping onto some medication um, even though there's nothing wrong with it, but it's, it's just that stigma in the back of your mind. So I sought out a clinic that um, promises like a holistic approach. They, you know, walk you through and then medication is like the very last resort if nothing else works. So, you know, I sought that kind of therapy. I sought that kind of care and I talked to people who validated my feelings and that helped a lot. And so that's kind of how it ended up for me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's actually not very uncommon as we were looking into this for women to experience some kind of postpartum struggle. So 50% of moms get baby blues, feeling a little bit down in the first one or two weeks as your hormones are <laughs> completely changing and altering and you're, you know, scrunching back down into your pre-pregnancy self, which mm. takes forever. <laughs> right. Um, and then apparently up to 20%. So one in five women can get postpartum depression and it can occur anytime in the first year. It doesn't have to happen right away. And it can last for two years or even, you know, beyond that's not like a hard and fast rule. And then we, we found out that one in 500 women or one in a thousand experience postpartum psychosis too. And, you know, Madonna, you were saying that is not that big of an, or that is not that small of a number. No, it really isn't. I, I, to be honest with you, I really thought that it was a rare occurrence. And I also didn't think it was a Coptic people problem. <laughs> if I'm being totally honest, I don't know if you went through this, Laura, but I went through a long period of time where I thought Coptic people were just immune to things. Like we didn't suffer from abuse. We didn't suffer from addiction. We didn't suffer from mental health issues. The, our struggle was only that of persecution. <laughs> That's all we talked about. Um, so I already had this mindset of like, you know, nobody in our community has this problem. And that kind of contributed to the feelings of inadequacy, feeling like nobody else had this problem. But as you just demonstrated by the numbers, it really is very common. And it doesn't say what kind of women, it just says women. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the moms who responded to us was saying that she had heard of postpartum depression and she knew about that, but she did not know about its cousin postpartum anxiety, which is when you're paralyzed with fear and worry about the baby, like a fear that overshoots reality. Like you can't even imagine getting in the car with the baby because, you know, that might not be safe. You're putting the baby in danger. And I looked up the stats for that and it's one in 10, one in 10 women suffer from postpartum anxiety. That's crazy. That is normal. That's, this is the normal that we should be talking about. Absolutely. And it, and the thing that we need to understand too is that postpartum struggle is a broad umbrella term. It looks so many different ways. It can look like rage. It can look like anxiety. It can look like sadness. It can look like so many things. And I had one woman um, share a story with me that I honestly, it was heartbreaking, but I'm really proud of her for taking control of her life because she said she went through this she described it soul tormenting postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, her child was admitted to the hospital given IV antibiotics, and it just set off this whole thing where she felt like she wasn't taking care of her kid. Um, and 
was unable to sleep while her child was in the hospital. And so she got prescribed sleeping pills. And from there, the whole event just kind of snowballed. Um, and she started after the sleeping pills, she started having rebounds of depression and anxiety and insomnia, and then got put on medications. And then the medications made her suicidal. And um, she ended up losing touch with people and had gotten so bad that she even had convinced herself that she lost the ability to, to talk and to write. So she was not communicating on top of all of that. And it wasn't until she finally was like, I've had enough of this. And she took charge. She basically didn't talk to the people who were invalidating her or were belittling, belittling her and started keeping track with the people who were trying to help her. And she sought out a, uh, a doctor or somebody, a holistic person that knew how to deal with what she wanted and what outcome she wanted. So after six months of seeing this person, she was able to get off the medication and was on the journey to healing again. Um, and obviously, and this is, I'm going to read this part. Obviously, get God's hand is in all of this, and he allowed this to happen to me. And as many of my friends know, I am thorough and always try to be prepared. I thought I was prepared for motherhood, and I was in every conventional way, but I was not ready for this hell that I went through, and it was super humbling. I never expected to take the psychiatric medications I so eagerly vilified in the past. And I felt defeated for some time and was embarrassed of my, of my situation. But now I've been 100% medication free and I have never felt better and more confident in my life. It takes a lot of courage to share a story like that, but also to advocate for yourself in that way to figure out, okay, this is not working. These are the people who are helping me make progress. Let me focus with them. And I think that's a big like point of our podcast today is you know, don't listen to people who are not understanding your situation. Sometimes, yeah, it's hard to explain yourself. So you don't have to keep explaining to yourself to people who are not understanding. Go find the people who know. Go find people who've been there. And we are hopefully um, showing you that there is, there is um, a lot, like, like a large portion of the population that is feeling this, that goes through this, not always up to those extremes, but they're all valid. And whatever you're feeling, you need to address and, you know, and heal from where you are for sure. And I think we need to give ourselves some credit because a lot of this pressure that we have now, obviously, you know, back then we used to have lots of generations living in one home or like in this village was just so intertwined. So you had the aunties and the uncles and the grandparents and the siblings and the neighbors everyone was there to help when the babies came. And now there's so much more isolation. People don't always live around their families. Both parents in the home work, not all the neighbors know each other. Everyone kind of lives their own life for themselves. And this was pre-COVID, okay? Even this was pre-COVID and people were living these, like we were living isolated lives and now even more so. So there's even some, you know, sad stories from people that are having babies during this time where the help really is missing. Laura, can you share some of those? Yes, for sure. So you are having this baby during COVID times. You're living far away from your family. You can't go anywhere. You're already in lockdown, right? And the exhaustion and just trying to survive on very little sleep were real. And you can't go outside very easily. You can't go get fresh air very easily, right? Um, how do you get personal time if there's, you can't invite strangers into the house to take care of the baby? You know, there's, um, there's so many ways that COVID has affected people. Um, 
you know, one woman I think was sharing with us a story that she ended up catch so she ended up catching COVID and having to be isolated from the baby. <laughs> oh. So COVID for sure adds so many layers to the struggle, so many complications. But it, as you said, we have been isolated for a long time now, and the feelings of isolation were already extreme before COVID. So this idea that maybe we need to be we need to be cognizant of the struggle of new moms and this year especially. Absolutely. And one thing I also just want to kind of bring out, and I, and I realize it's different in every household, but postpartum depression and anxiety and all of this isn't necessarily a lack of support from your spouse, right? Some people think that, oh, it's because you have to take care of this kid by yourself. Sometimes that's not what, what it is. It may be the case, but for me, for example, the biggest problem was the failed expectation. I expected to be great at being a mom because I was a teacher. I was like, man, I could do 25 kids fine. So sure, I'm going to have one baby. I can take care of it. I thought I was going to be great at parenting. I thought breastfeeding was just this thing that you do, you know? But then quickly I discovered it just wasn't as natural as I thought it would be. And that failure to meet my own expectations contributed to my feelings of insecurity. Now that combined with the blast of hormones from being pregnant, um, as one mom on Facebook was saying, like her doctor was telling her, it takes you how long to build up the hormones during your pregnancy, nine months. And then all of a sudden like that, the baby's out and you're still stuck with that huge dump of hormones in your body. So that in and of itself contributes to the problem that, and then on top of that, the sleep deprivation, and you add in a baby who's colicky or, or sick, lack of a break because, you know, it, it, nobody can come help you or because dad goes to work, or maybe there's another sibling that needs your attention. It can be really, really tough. Definitely not meeting your own expectations or the expectations that you feel like society is imposing on you. One mom talked about this idea of bouncing back, like you're supposed to bounce back. I remember being like, wait a second, why, why is nothing normal yet? You know why? And, and my kids don't sleep very well. Like I'm not a sleep training expert or that's just not something my heart could handle at all. And so my kids, I'm trying to enforce on them this sort of expectation enforce on myself, this expectation, feeling that sense of failure you're talking about. And then there's no, no um, realistic vision of bouncing back, especially if you look at, you know, like the media and you know, the celebrities that come out and they look fantastic on day right. two, you know, and you're like, okay, it's been two years. Like <laughs> things are still not quite where I expected that idea that like, no, you, it does take two years to even begin to feel normal again. Absolutely. And I remember um, when I was going through this too, I remember seeing videos of births and the moms like just sobbing uncontrollably once the baby's in their hands and they're so overjoyed. And I remember when they gave me my daughter the first time, I didn't, I didn't have those feelings when I, when they put her in my hands, the first thing I thought, and this is embarrassing. I mean, but I'm going to say it. Why does it have so much hair? That was my first thought. <laughs> why is there hair all over this baby? Why is it crying so much? And I was like, okay, I gave birth. Now what, what do I do? It was like anticlimactic for me. And I remember being like, aren't I supposed to feel so overjoyed? And I know other moms kind of shared that same idea that they didn't connect with their baby right away. It took time when their personality started to develop, which is, as you know, like babies don't really start developing like a real personality until like maybe six months down the road, they start being an interactive being. And that feels like a lifetime when you're going through it. But I want to assure you, it's not 
abnormal not to connect right away. This baby was dropped in your lap overnight, literally overnight. And in any other scenario, we would say it takes time to get to know something. So why is this so absurd that we wouldn't feel that way? I remember like this idea that you give so much to the infant and it takes like maybe three months to get your first smile, your first positive feedback, right? Like all this time I am feeding you, changing you, burping you, bathing you. And I get no positive feedback at all. What's the positive feedback is silence. And that's very limited, right? Yes. So I feel like I remember thinking, did my mother really do this? Like, wow, four (laughs) times. Wow. (laughs) And that's the new appreciation we have for our own mothers, right? Like, how did they do this? I had this one story on Facebook that I wanted to share because we talked about, you know, there's a lot of risk factors again for getting postpartum depression, but this woman was sharing that she had a a difficult fertility journey and uh, her babies came through IVF. And so she felt like she forced God to give her a child because she kept asking and asking. And then when she had the child and then went through uh, postpartum depression, she felt like he wasn't giving her a kid before because she would be a horrible mom. And so she was having anxiety over that and over breastfeeding and the milk production or the lack of it. And all of this would take her into hysterics. And then the fear that the child would like die all of a sudden from SIDS or something like that didn't feel that bond that we were just talking about. And the amount of stress and fear and general negativity, all of that made her feel like she was going crazy. And I just, again, I want to assure you that is, you're not going crazy. That is part of what happens in your body when you're, when you're going through pregnancy and you're giving birth, your body is going through a lot, a lot. Absolutely. And there are so many issues to deal with for the baby too. I mean, you have colicky babies, you have food allergies that go undiscovered. You have, um, all the different things that you have to do for the baby and all of these times that you're attempting these things for the first time, you, you will fail. It's normal to fail. It's, you know, like the diaper explosions are not your fault. They're not, you know, like everything is, but everything feels like it's your responsibility and it's on you. Um, I have one mom who was saying, I recognized all the symptoms of PPD because my first job was in a psych institute and I've attended seminars upon seminars regarding PPD. But when it hit me, it felt like I was run over by a bus and then the bus reversed and further destroyed any hope I had. She said, ha ha, have kids, they said. I'm full of horror stories, but thank God most of that is behind us. Now working on tantrums. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And just to touch on one other thing, Laura, you were mentioning something about um, the idea that people talk about breastfeeding and they talk about formula, but nobody really talks about the struggle of pumping as well. So can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, you're only presented those two options at first, you know, either you're breastfeeding uh, or you're giving formula and no matter which one you have your own challenges and your own guilty feelings. Right. Uh, but nobody really talks about pumping as an option. You know, one of the moms wanted to share that she struggled a lot with breastfeeding. And when she sort of gave up on breastfeeding and switched to pumping, she was able to give the baby her milk and, you know, not, and at the same time, not worry about latching issues or whatever. So offering that as an option, I know that for me, I, had a lot of trouble getting started with both kids. And um, my OBGYN was like, 
oh, you know what I did? I pumped exclusively for the first three months. And then they figured out that they would prefer to breastfeed. So this idea that we don't talk about all the different options and all of the options come with so much baggage. Like I remember the first time I saw a pump, I was almost burst into tears because I was like, I'm not a cow. I don't want to be attached to this machine. Like just so much, we put so much pressure on ourselves and we really take things so personally because, because these are our kids and we adore them, you know, or we want to do a fantastic job. And so this pressure that we put on ourselves causes so much complication. I mean, unfortunately, apparently it's natural, but it's also something that we need to support each other for. I, I absolutely uh, agree with that. And I, I know that in any capacity, when it comes to that like milk production whole situation, it can be so tough because I don't know what it is if we built up this idea in our head or what, but it feels like it's supposed to be something that just kind of clicks. It just happens. Your baby is just supposed to know what it to do and you're supposed to just be able to make the milk, but it is almost never just that easy. And that just presents a whole other set of of problems with, with your own insecurities and feeling like you can't provide the most basic nourishment for your child in the way that is like quote unquote natural. I, and I emphasize the quote unquote, because I mean, as much as it would be great if we could all just do that, it doesn't always happen and that's okay. And we're thankful for modern science that has allowed for formula and has allowed for machines like um, pumps to be able to get that milk out if the baby can't do it the way that, you know, it, it was supposed to happen. Yeah, uh, another uh, struggle that was mentioned, which I definitely felt with uh, my second child is the idea of feeling like you've abandoned your first or mm. feeling like you're not giving your first your best anymore or that you've betrayed them. And uh, our friend was mentioning that one night her daughter crawled into her lap and asked in a sweet voice, can we return the baby? You know, that <laughs> feeling of like, what happened? Like, why am I dislodged from the position of honor, you know? Um, and one of the pieces of advice or one of the things that can be helpful is your daily shower. Definitely daily showers make a big difference. I remember with my first, I would tell my grandmother to come over just so I could hop in the shower because that was the only time I felt like a human being. The only time I didn't feel like a walking burp cloth. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, and if we're kind of moving on to some helpful advice, I remember for me, one of the things that really, really helped me as hard as it was to step out of the house for me going to a crafting store like Michael's or Hobby Lobby or stuff like that was all I needed. I would walk out and just walk around the store. I didn't get dressed up. I didn't like try to make myself look cute. I just got out of the house. And another thing I found was like a baby story time at the library. That was nice because I didn't have to talk to anybody. I just had to go there and my baby was entertained and I was not isolated in my home. Obviously right now during COVID, that's much tougher and much more scary. But this idea of at least getting outside and getting out of the uh, like negative bubble that you feel like you're in when you're isolated inside your home, just taking a walk in your neighborhood, that to me was a huge help in and of itself. For sure. And I, I want to tell you guys that on our poll, we asked who struggled postpartum and we got 86% of people struggled postpartum. So again, wow. reminding you that this is a very common thing. One mom was saying it was, if it wasn't for the time spent on my rocking chair every night at bedtime with my infant singing spiritual songs and praying and begging God to lend his hand and help me through it. I don't know what else would have helped. Uh, 
I don't know what else would have helped out. Those nights where I would pour my heart out to God were actually the most intimate moments with God I've ever had in my spiritual life. I felt him more than ever and experienced more miracles and blessings than ever before. It's a hard time. It's important to share that this too will pass. It's just as important to know that it's okay to see a therapist. Don't let our culture make you think otherwise. There are great, and I mean great, Coptic and non-Coptic therapists out there who can help you get through it and care, care for you as you go through. I think it's really important to note that we can have the medication and we can seek the therapist. And all of that does not counteract the idea that we love God and we trust God and we pray to God. None of this is against God. I think a lot of the times we like to say that they are contradictory, that if you are seeking medical help in, in struggles like of, the, of mental health, that that means that you are lacking in your spiritual life. And I remember that I asked my priests specifically, how do I know that this is depression and not just the devil taking control of my life and that I need to pray more and, and you know, talk to God more? And he said it very simply. He said, you are not finding joy in things that normally would bring you joy. Okay. That is not something to do with whether or not you love God enough. That is a hormone related problem. Our bodies are so delicately balanced with hormones that during this time, things are crazy and it is a physical need that you are meeting along with the spiritual need of praying and going to church and taking communion and reading your Bible. So doing both is very important. Taking care of both is very important. And not feeling like you failed spiritually if you don't, if you need to do something else besides just those things. And I remember you mentioned the Her First Love retreat last year when we, when we were on the women's panel. And um, they, one of the questions they asked was, what is some valuable advice that you got? And the one that I shared was, someone finally said to me, it is okay not to be okay. You know, we thought we had to kind of like have this idea, you should be grateful that you had a baby because there's so many people who can't and you should be grateful that you even have this, this opportunity to have a, like a, ch a child is a gift from God. Um, and so when you don't feel okay, you feel guilty about it, but it is okay to not feel okay. It is okay to seek help. It is okay to go to therapy. It is okay to, to not feel like you know what you're doing. Of, of course not. You have to learn how to do this. It's, it's part of living with, with a, another human being, just like you have to learn how to be married. You have to learn how to do your job. You, you're going to have to learn to be a mother. It's the same idea. Oh, I have a, a little note on that one, which is that he also needs to learn how to be a father. And so mm. a lot of times we assume that the mom knows what she's doing by nature and the dad is sort of fumbling along. But just to be clear, you can both learn how to take care of the baby. And there will be things that he can do better for the baby um, if maybe we would get out of their way a little bit and not insist on it being done our own way. Uh, fathers can entertain babies. Fathers can stop crying. Fathers, mm -hmm. fathers are very good at changing diapers. So uh, don't feel like you have to do it all. See if you can make room for your partner. You know, Ask for what you need. Ask for the help that you need from your partner too. Um, don't feel like you have to do it all. I love what you said though about the joy that you feel and the expectations of how motherhood should hit you. Um, our verse for today was actually the, from the gospel reading yesterday. 
Um, John 16, 21, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. We know we don't forget labor right away, but we do eventually forget labor. We were joking about this, Madonna. We forget labor maybe eventually after the first year, but unfortunately there's a whole new set of issues, right? So this idea that, you know, um, we have all, we have new sorrows. Life is not sorrow free. So we, we have new sorrows and we have new struggles and that's fine. Um, just that remember that you don't have to live up to this verse instantly, right? You don't have to, as soon as you touch the baby, you forget all about all the pain and you're hundred percent happy. You know, um, it was not, Christ was not issuing a command or a challenge. <laughs> he was making um, an analogy. Absolutely. And I, and it's weird because uh, also every pregnancy is different and every birth is different. So like with my daughter, I, that postpartum depression hit me like right away. Immediately I had the baby and she was in my arms and I was not connected but then with my son, I was immediately connected and I was so happy. And I, I was like, man, I really missed out on this feeling. And then a year down the road, I started feeling like, I don't know what I'm doing with my two babies and I don't know how to take care of them. So you never know what to expect or what's going to happen. But I will leave you with this. Okay. It is a small time in the grand scheme of things, even if it's two years, three years, five years. Okay. It doesn't matter. It is a small time and it will pass. It will end. I can tell you with full confidence that right now, I just discovered yesterday that my daughter is five years and four months. And let me tell you, I melted into a puddle because I did not know where the time went. And I was really sad to know that I had already missed, like not missed, I had already gone through that much time with her and time was running out so fast. And I can't imagine life without my kids now. It's very different how I talk about my kids now compared to how I talked about them when I first had them. And I also want you to know that your spouses are going through it too, okay? They obviously are not having the same exact feelings as you because you have the moms, you have the hormone factor. But husbands, you're having to watch someone you love suffer and that's not easy that anybody will tell you that that's a really difficult thing. Not knowing how to help and feeling helpless, not knowing what you're supposed to do because everything feels like the wrong thing to do because mom is going to cry at any second or explode at any second or um, just whatever she feels any second, you just never know. Um, and so one thing I can tell moms is try to ask for help. And we know that it's really hard to do that when you're in it because it just feels like you should know. At least try to say, I don't know what I'm doing or I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And that gives the open door for dad to step in and say, okay, we can figure this out. And I think one of the most helpful thing that spouses can do is to validate the feelings Stand up for your wife. Stand up for her if somebody comes in and tries to say something negative about what she's doing. You go in there and you tell them it is not your place to say anything. She's the best mom she could be for my kids. And just show your support. That's all I think that any mom can ask for. Absolutely. And I think that's it for us this week. Uh, we're thank so thankful for you for listening and we will talk to you next week. Raising Up Copts is a podcast hosted by Laura Michael and Madonna Lewindy. None of the views expressed during this recording are the official stance of the Coptic Church or its hierarchy. These are purely our personal opinions 
collected experiences, and organic discussions on selected topics. If you'd like to reach out with any questions or comments, please email raisingupcops at gmail.com or post on the Coptic Dad and Mom Parenting Community on Facebook.